Hello, welcome again. I'm Masood Raja, and in today's lecture, I'll be talking about Louis Althusser's famous essay, Repressive and Ideological State of Practices. And I'll be doing that this in three parts. In part one, I'll talk about the essay and Althusser's take on ideology just generally in comparison to Marx. Then in part two, I'll basically be reading from my own explanation of Althusser's work on ideology in this essay as published in my recent book on ISIS. And in, our, and in part three, I will roughly add uh, some more details to the essay. So that's the plan. Now, if you think of ideology, of course, the person whose name comes to anyone's mind is Karl Marx. And the way Marx imagined ideology is what we call the epistemological model of ideology. And by that, what we mean is that in classical Marxism, ideology is this sort of a veil, mostly implemented by probably the dominant group. And the workers tend to see the world through that ideology. So the work of, of the revolution is to undo the veil, right? So that the workers could see the real world and experience the world according to that. Now, Althusser basically revises this epistemological model of ideology, and he revises that by using Lacan. And that's why in my lecture on Lacan, I had mentioned that we'll discuss Louis Althusser. And the most important part of that revision is the question of the real, right? So if you remember my lecture on Lacan, this access to the real that we just imagine that simply since we physically exist, we can just know the real, right? Comes into problem within the symbolic order because our access to the real is through language. And when it is through language, can we really reach the real, right? Can we really know the real? Can the real experience really inform our understanding of the world? Now, this is a crucial point. If you have watched my lectures on Gayatri Spivak's Can the Subaltern Speak, she challenges both Foucault and Deleuze on their assumptions that the workers know, that the prisoners knew their own conditions because there is an acknowledgement in that statement that the real is accessible, right, through experience. And the problem is that it might be accessible through experience, but rendering it in language, then it has to be rendered within the symbolic order, and that's where ideology comes in, right? So this is kind of my general introduction to the lecture, so I will now switch on to my own discussion of Althusser. But before I go there, let's remind ourselves, what is he trying to do in this essay? What does he declare in the very beginning? And what he says is that a capitalistic society must do two things to sustain itself. One, it must constantly produce commodities. That is what capitalism is, right? If you have read your capital volume one, you already know that Marx starts it by defining what is a commodity, right? And the reason he does that is he says because commodities are ubiquitous, 
we touch them, we eat them, we wear them, we die in them, we live in them, right? So one thing that a capitalistic society must do is it must constantly produce commodities. And two, it must also constantly reproduce itself. How does it do that? In order to explain that, Althusser then also theorizes two kinds of power, right? And that in the essay, um, he mentions, he cites Antonio Gramsci, right? Because he's taking these two concepts, ideological state apparatuses and repressive state apparatuses. He's theorizing them using Gramsci's idea of dominance and hegemony. And I have a video on it, which you can watch, right? So what he's trying to do then in this essay is, is to suggest as to how ideologically we find our place in the world and how ideology and ideological modes at the hands of the government or dominant institutions are usually more operative than what was traditionally thought of in classical Marxism as the state, as this institution of oppression. Most of the times, according to Althusser, the state and you can add the corporations and everything else in it too now, works through ideological means, through creating a hegemony. And that's what he's trying to ex um, explain. Now, also incorporated within the essay is the Lacanian bend of the essay. So it's one of the earlier essays that is combining a Marxist scholar's knowledge of Lacanian psychoanalysis, especially when it comes to subject formation, and then theorizes the question of ideology, human subjectivity, and reproduction of the capitalistic society in it. So that's my kind of a general introduction. I will now move on to pretty much reading my own description of this entire essay, especially the concept of ideology. And then in the part three, I'll unpack it and add some more information. So for Althusser, ideology is not necessarily a false consciousness that forces the workers or people to see the world from the point of view of the dominant classes. But something more than that. Now, in order to explain what he means by ideology, Althusser offers two initial theses. One, ideology represents the imaginary relationship of individuals to their real conditions of existence. And two, ideology has a material existence. Now, in order to further elaborate his first thesis, Althusser articulates it in different words, and I quote, In ideology, men represent their real condition of existence to themselves in an imaginary form, end of quote. And Althusser inquires, if men do so, then why do men need this imaginary transposition of their real conditions of existence in order to represent it to themselves, their real conditions of existence? And that's really an apt question. For if men are living within certain material conditions, why do they need this representation 
of their own material existence to themselves. Now Althusser therefore discusses two previous modes of explaining this lacuna. The first solution, and this is coming from Marxist tradition, often proffered in the 18th, late 19th centuries, is that the priests or despots are responsible. Now, if one were to believe in this postulate, then the question of imaginary transposition of reality could be, you know, in Althusser's view, answered, you know, like, for example, there is therefore a cause for the imaginary transposition of the real conditions of existence. That cause is the existence of a small number of cynical men who base their domination and exploitation of the people on a falsified representation of the world, you know, which they have imagined in order to enslave other minds by dominating their imaginations, right? Um, so this, you know, like, this is that idea that there is this clue. So if one believes in this particular view of ideology, then it is always easy to claim that a certain group or a constituency can mislead large segments of a society simply because they have the power of forcing right, or convincing the people to believe in it. Now, most of our opinions about politics and people's belief in certain leaders, religious or secular, imperceptibly take this version of ideology into account right, to make our claims about this misleading or false consciousness. Right? The remedy always is the truth. Thus, more data, more knowledge, right? better explanations of the real are offered right? as a remedy for such investment by the people in the so-called interests and worldview of the small cynical group. Right? Now, the second cause which is provided to support the transposition of the real with imagination thesis by Althusser is given by Marx. Right, in the same vein as his teacher Farbach, and Althusser explain it, explains it, and I quote, This cause is no longer priests or despots, nor their active imagination and the passive imagination of their victims. This cause is the material alienation which reigns in the conditions of existence of men themselves. This is how, in the Jewish question, right, and elsewhere, Marx defends the Farbachian idea that men make themselves an alienated, alienated representation of their conditions of existence because these conditions of existence are themselves alienating. Now, Althusser's main objection to these two answers to the enigma of ideology is that both these answers presuppose that, and I quote, what is reflected in the imaginary representation of the world found in ideo ideology is the conditions of existence, that is, the real world. And this view would presuppose an existing non-ideological real, 
that men represent to themselves in imagination, right? Thus transforming the real into the ideological, right? But Althusser's counter to this highly accepted view of ideology, right? Uh, he opines and he says, no, it is not their real conditions of existence, their real world that men represent to themselves in ideology. But above all, it is their relation to those conditions of existence, right? Which is represented to them there. It is this relation which is at the center of every ideological imaginary representation of the real world. It is this relation that contains the cause which has to explain the imaginary distortion of the ideological representation of the real world. Or rather, to leave aside the language of causality, it is necessary to advance the thesis that it is the imaginary nature of this relation which underlies all the imaginary distortion that we can observe if we do not live in its truth in all ideology. End of quote. So, Althusser concludes his discussion of Thesis 1 by suggesting that what is represented in ideology, and I'm quoting, is therefore not the system of the real relations which govern the existence of individuals, but the imaginary relation of those individuals to the real relations in which they live. End of quote. Now, let me sum it up. According to Althusser, ideology first and foremost is the imaginary relationship of individuals to their real conditions of existence, right? But this relationship is neither caused by the machinations of a cynical, despotic group, nor caused by the individual's own alienation, right, from the mode of production, but rather in simple terms, the way individuals understand their lived conditions is through this imaginative act. Ideology, therefore, is already a part of the act of imagination itself, right? Or in other words, this imagination is not outside of ideology and is formed by the subjectivity of the individuals themselves. Now, having... Uh, discussed his first thesis about ideology, Althusser produced to, um, proceeds to discuss his thesis too, and which is, ideology has a material existence. Now, he acknowledges that materiality of ideology isn't like the material, and I quote, existence of a paving stone or a rifle. But then, an ideology always exists in an apparatus, and its practice or practice says this existence is material. So what is at stake if we agree with this postulate, right? If ideology is material in a sense that it exists within a larger material system of practice and signification, right? Then its expression will also be visible materially in the actions of those who follow or live in a certain ideology. But for us to really agree with this, we must believe 
in the existence of a conscious subject, right, who functions according to an ideology of the real, that he or she chooses or accepts. Althusser provides, provides, you know, additional detail, and he says the individual in question behaves in such and such a way, adopts such and such a practical attitude, and what is more, participates in certain regular practices, which are those of the ideological apparatus on which depend the ideas which he has in all consciousness, consciousness freely chosen as a subject. Right? So what does it mean? If he believes in God, he goes to church to attend mass, kneels, prays, confesses, does penance. Once it was material in the ordinary sense of the term and naturally represents and so on, if he believes in duty, he will have the corresponding attitudes inscribed in ritual practices according to the correct principle. Right? If he believes in justice, he will submit unconditionally to the rules of the law and may even protest when they are violated, sign petitions, take part in a demonstration, etc. This is all Althusser by. Now here is what is crucial in this exposition by Althusser. The individual is not misled to believe and practice any particular ideology. The individual here is a conscious subject who freely chooses to believe in a certain ideological understanding of the real and then performs his or her, you know, identity or actions accordingly. The ideology, however, is not this ethereal thing out there that the individual captures with his imagination. The ideology is offered through a dispositive, through a system, right? And the individual accepting and acting upon a certain ideology, therefore, right, becomes consciously a part of the expectations, obligations, and limitations of the very ideological system that he or she has chosen to enact in his or her relationship with the real-life conditions of existence. So, in Althusser's words then, the ideologically mediated practices of individuals, and I am quoting, are governed by the rituals in which the practices are inscribed within the material existence of an ideological apparatus, end of quote. Now, this view of ideology thus enables a more subject-centered role, role for ideology. You know, instead of render, rendering individuals as passive recipients of a pernicious and misleading ideology, Althusser concludes his discussion of his two theses about ideology in these words, and I quote, It therefore appears that the subject acts insofar he is acted by the following system set out in the order of its real determination, Ideology existing in a material ideological apparatus, prescribing material practices, governed by a material ritual which, within which practices exist in the material actions of a subject 
acting in all consciousness according to his belief. Now this conclusion, I end of quote, obviously forces Althusser to acknowledge, right, that he immediately needs to, and I quote, extract the decisive central term on which everything else depends. And that is the notion of the subject. Now, obviously, if the subject accepts the practices and expectations of a certain ideology and then enacts those practices, right, then this subject must be studied and discussed in detail Right? as this is an active conscious subject and not just a passive recipient of a powerful virulent ideology imposed on him by the system or by a cynical dominant class or group. Right? Now keeping this centrality of the subject in the process of its ideological subjectivization then Althusser offers two concomitant thesis. One, there is no practice except by and in an ideology. And two, there is no ideology except by the subject and for subject. Now these two postulates are crucial to the specificity of Althusser's articulation of ideology for they point to his conclusions about the role and function of ideology in the lives of human subjects. One, that there is no outside to ideology presupposes that ideology is not this outside thing that comes right, and influences non-ideological beings, but rather that we all exist in ideology and also function within it. And since ideology must be, right now think of it, performed or received by a subject Ideology does not create human subjectivities, but rather is adopted by humans, right? Who are already subject, subjects. Now this insight about humans already being subject is crucial for Althusser's concluding discussion, right? Uh, why is it crucial? Because it's deeply different from the Marxian view of ideology. And, and he explains um, that it's not just that ideology, you know, that we sometimes encounter, you know, what he says is concept and ideas and accept them as they are, right, without even thinking about it, right. And Althusser suggests that this function of receiving and accepting ideological ideas as obvious, you know, functions through ideological recognition. And, and this ideological rec recognition happens because we are always already subjects and as such constantly practice the rituals of ideological recognition which guarantees for us, and I'm quoting here, that we are indeed concrete individuals, distinguishable and irreplaceable subjects. But if we are already fully realized concrete subjects, right, then what is the role of ideology in our constitution? And this is where Althusser's insights are significant. 
For this aspect of ideology is essential in understanding the function and role of ideology and in, in any group, right? So in order to answer the questions as to how ideology recruits individual subjects and then how this subject so constituted performs the rituals and functions of this ideology, Althusser offers this proposition. And he says, I shall then suggest that ideology acts or functions in such a way that it recruits subjects among the individuals, it recruits them all, or transforms the individuals into subjects, it transforms them all by that very precise operation which I have called interpolation or hailing, and which can be imagined along the lines of the most commonplace everyday police or other hailing, hey you there. And of course, now two important concepts are mentioned here, hailing and interpolation. Now understanding these two concepts is also important to the discussion of any group and its ideological hailing and interpolation by another group, right? So Althusser further suggests, and I quote, that, in, in the, that an individual is always already a subject, even before he is born, is nevertheless the plain reality accessible to everyone, and not a paradox at all. Freud shows that individuals are always abstract with respect to the subjects they always already are, simply by noting the ideological ritual that surrounds the expectation of a birth, that happy event. Everyone knows how much and in what way an unborn child is expected, right? And, and this is, I'm still quoting Althusser here from the essay, right? Uh, there are a lot of dense stuff. So we are born as subjects. Right? and are interpolated by the ideology, ideology in which we are born, for it constitutes us, right? gives us meaning and provides us the necessary rituals and practices to further stabilize that identity. Hence, the ideology that we are in hails and stabilizes our identity, right? but it takes material shape as our actions and subjects constantly reconstitute and perpetuate and reproduce it, right? Religious ideology works like that. In religion, right, the practice of our hailed subjectivity is performed to appease or appeal to a larger subject, God, or his surrogates, right? And the performance of the expected rituals is key to winning the blessing or rewards promised by this subject, this subject S, right? Now, Althusser applies this model to Christianity and the concept of the Christian God. And I quote, it then emerges that the interpolation of individuals as subjects presupposes the existence of a unique and central other subject in whose name the religious ideology interpolates all individuals as subjects. All this is clearly written in what is rightly called the scriptures. 
and he's quoting, and it came to pass at that time that God the Lord Yahweh spoke to Moses in the cloud, and the Lord cried to Moses, Moses, and Moses replied, It is really I, I am Moses, thy servant. Speak, and I shall listen. And the Lord spoke to Moses and said to him, I am that I am. This is interpolation, right? This mechanics of religious ideological interpolation can be applied to all major religions and other ideological apparatuses with just a few surface modifications. So what we already know is that ideology is material at both ends. It is sustained right, and unleashed by a material system and it acts upon the material minds, bodies and actions of individuals, subjects in order for a human subject to be fully interpolated by any ideology, that individual must first be hailed by ideology or a figure or a text espousing a certain ideology, right? If the individual accepts this address, then it follows that for that individual, the question of learning to be right within that ideology and the question of performing his or her practices and rituals in order to fulfill the hail by the subject S, right? God or the God surrogate. Now, this does not mean that all of us, you know, are prone to one kind of hailing only, but what it proves then is that according to Al Tusser, ideology performs an act of healing, it interpolates us, and when it interpolates us, we function within that ideology, right? And then perform the rituals of daily life in congruence with that ideology, right? So, what then it teaches us that ideology for all to say then, right, is uh, not something that misleads us, right? I mean, Althusser also explains that ideology is the medium through which people or human subjects make the word intelligible to themselves, right? And why there is so much emphasis on imagination, you know, because the real is not accessible. Okay, so I'm back. Uh, the part before this was actually me using a teleprompter, and I must admit I'm not really good at it. So now, now that we have discussed how Althusser imagines and discusses ideology, what does he mean by ideological state apparatuses and repressive state apparatuses? And remember, in classical Marxism, state is the ultimate instrument of oppression. That's why the workers' movement or mission is to abolish the state, right? So what he says is that, you know, the state has both oppressive and ideological means at its disposal, right? The army, the police, the law, all of these are oppressive means of hailing us, interpolating our identities. But most of the time, the state works through ideological means. And that's where he adds the footnote where he says that my these insights come from Antonio Gramsci's concept of hegemony and dominance. And for that, you can watch my video on that, right? I'll probably post a link up there on that. 
So in order to prove his point then, he gives us an example of the educational system, right? Now remember, he starts the essay by saying the, that a capitalistic society must constantly produce and must also reproduce itself. What does he mean by that? By reproducing itself, all it means that it must reproduce its mode of production and it must produce human subjectivities who internalize that there are certain functions that they are good for, right? We no longer live in societies where our station in life is decided by birth, right? So what decides what we will do or what our place is in the given economy, right? Our education. So it's the educational system that interpolates us, right? That creates, makes us think that this is my role, depending on whether you're high school graduate. If you're not, you already in a capitalistic society like America would not even think of applying for certain jobs because you know that there are only certain jobs you qualify for. If you go for a, if you go for a college degree, your degree already predisposes you to imagine a life in that economy according to the credentials that that degree gives you. So educational system ideologically hails us and interpolates us to be functional parts of this large machine called capital. And it does it so that we accept it as our station, as our role in this economy. And that all is done ideologically, right? An educational system is a huge tool for that. Now, please do keep in mind that Althusser does mention that the threat of violence is always there, right? Even though the state works ideologically and wants to interpolate us ideologically, the coercive force is always there. We always know it's there. We internalize that, right? But then we function within the society, within the world in which we live, according to the symbolic order. And that's where the Lacanian influence is coming in, that in this entire subject is the subject that must internalize the logic of the symbolic order, like the law of the father, but is not being coerced into it but rather is ideologically being interpolated into it. So this is roughly uh, uh, one of the most important pieces of theory coming from Marxian, uh, Marxist tradition and then intermingling with Lacanian psychoanalysis. And how can we use it? I mean, you can use this theorization of ideology to read any text and figure out you know, what kind of hailing does it perform on reading subjects from the reader's point of view, right? How does a system work, like your workplace? How do you give your body and your labor to a place ideologically? How do you find your place in it? How do you find yourself committed to performing certain functions that are expected of you? How is that subjectivity shaped? Also, more importantly, the thing that is crucial to understand in Althusser is that ideology is not a false consciousness, but rather the means through which we make the world intelligible to ourselves. We, we understand it through an ideology, which tells us that there is no outside to ideology, right? So all we can do then is shift from one ideology to another. And that's very important 
for those of us who are educators, right? There is no real for us to expose our students to so that they can learn about themselves. The, the contact with the real is ideological, right? And it's through language. But if we are, and the people have done a lot of work on it, if we are going to shift someone's views, right? the larger ideological frames will have to be shifted so that they feel stable in it, they make it part of their ideology and then understand the world through it. So think of it, this concept that ideology is what we use to make the world intelligible to ourselves when you have certain views about politics or a policy or even purchasing decisions, ask yourself what forces you to prefer one over the other and most of the times it's what you value and those values are socially as Eagleton would say and ideologically produced. So this explanation of ideology then in my opinion enables us to do more work but more post-structuralist work because remember, in post-structuralism, we can't imagine a centered subject, right? So if we are going to theorize disalienation using Marx, right, we can only do that when we Im imagine a cent centered human subject. So that model of ideology cannot really work anymore. But what Althusser is offering us in this essay can enable us to probably think the word differently. Now, I will try to find a copy of the essay and post it in the links in, under the video. And I'll also see if I can copy the parts of my book that I used in the second part of this lecture and add it to the description. It may take me a while because I don't have access to my office. But if you, my suggestion is read the essay and then listen to this lecture and maybe both of these things combined would help you understand the essay better. As always, if you have any questions, please send them my way. And I'm really grateful that you've joined me and I will see you next time. And until then, as I always say, peace and love.